Uh, last week we talked about how does Jesus do apologetics? Didn't do a lot on content last week. We talked about, more about how. Um, Jesus' methodology. Asking questions. Telling stories. Using scripture. We're going to talk more about that uh, uh, today as well. Let me just sort of sort through here. But this is the series. I'm not going to kind of go over the whole thing today, the whole series. But today we're going to talk about the existence of God. So a little bit more content than we did last week. Next week, so you are here. <laughs> Next week we're going to look at the problem of evil. And Pastor Emeritus Bo Matthews, is, is that Bo back there, is going to be teaching next week. I know any of you guys who have been here for a long time know him, love him, so he is going to be dealing with a much more difficult problem for me, uh, the problem of evil. So um, definitely come back and hear him. My, the most significant talk I've ever heard on apologetics, apologetics was given by a friend of mine named Kevin Rhodes. This was 35 years ago. And Kevin was a brilliant guy. I would call him an apologetics genius. Some of you guys may be like that, or maybe you know somebody like that. An apologetics genius. Um, He told us a story in this talk about an interaction he had um, with a friend of his actually discussing the problem of evil. And Kevin was just an amazing, brilliant debater. His, his opponent would make a point, and Kevin had a better counterpoint. His opponent made another point, and Kevin made a, an, an, an even better counterpoint. This went on for a while. And Kevin's opponent finally said, you win. And so Kevin asked the logical question. So do you want to become a Christian now? And what did this guy say? He said, If all Christians are as arrogant as you, I want to have nothing to do with Christianity. (laughs) Kevin won the battle, but lost the war. The goal isn't to win the apologetic argument. The goal is to connect people to Jesus. Right? It's not just to win the argument. Apologetics is is a means to an end, getting people connected to Jesus. So as we engage in apologetic discussions, remember to follow Jesus' example. Ask questions. Tell stories. Use scripture. And sometimes, last week, Jesus didn't even answer. Uh, But he sort of did. We talked about that more. And if if you're interested, you could uh, listen to the the tape or the, the podcast or whatever you got there. Today we're talking about the existence of God. Why do people believe in God? Um, If you were here last week, I did this several times. I'm going to do this again. Turn to a neighbor and and ask and answer this question: What are some reasons that people that you know, or even yourself, why do you believe in God? No, 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 no. Just turn turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Okay, I'm going to give you like about a minute. Why do people believe in God? Okay, I'm going to do a few more of these, and I apologize if you just started. I'm going to do a few more of these um, that might, I'm going to give you a little bit more time than I did for this one, but I'm hoping you're able to come up with a lot of things right away. And again, in a, shh, oh, that's good, you guys are, you guys are, you've had your coffee, I guess. All right, I'll just keep talking louder. Um, Two words, loud and short, Okay. It's a big room, got to talk loud. I will re- reiterate and repeat what you say. But also, 
I'm, I'm looking for a, a phrase or a sentence. I'm not looking for paragraphs. All right, you know what I'm talking about. Loud and short. What did you guys come up with? Upbringing. Upbringing. Yeah, that was loud and short. Wow, that's good. Sentences are okay if you want. But yeah, others. God created. God, God created us. Okay, good. God created us. Great. Uh, Dwayne. Okay, they're looking for a story. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay, it resonates and on profound level is true. It's truth. Yes. Okay. Um, we see evidence of creation. Good. Okay. Yes. He persistently called, uh, who is it, um, G.K. Chesterton, the hound of, the hound of heaven, uh, um, he persistently calls us. Yeah, we see called, I teach the Old Testament, we see, we see a lot of really fascinating call narratives in the Bible, and, and God is pursuing us. Uh, yes? Okay, we have a longing. Uh, Augustine talks about this, this this desire um, for God. Okay, back there and then back here. Yeah, back. Okay, we find purpose. Good. And then right here. Okay, it makes sense, which is kind of related to purpose, yeah. Um, Okay, wow, this is great. Uh, Two more, and then that's it. Yep. Experience. Yes? Okay. Um, explanation and experience. That's fantastic. Wow. Um, again, all of these, we could, we could probably devote the rest of the time to, to one of these things. The, the power of story, the role the truth plays. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We could talk about all of these. Um, just looking for, I'm just curious, how many of you was reason or logic, or kind of a, convinced in an argument, played a role in what you said? Okay, that's great. It was interesting, about, I don't know, one out of eight or something, logic and reason plays a role. But it was interesting. Some of you guys, I mean, we talk about truth. Um, but kind of a, a logical argument for most of us was not the thing that brought us over the edge or that as you've seen people move into a position of faith, it wasn't kind of logic or reason. That may have played a role, but it probably wasn't for many of us the primary thing. Uh, so we think about the existence of God, I want to, there's maybe kind of three broad categories of people that need, on some level, to be convinced of God's existence. The, the most obvious category would be the, the atheists, the agnostics, the skeptics, and the cynics. Okay? Those are the people like, oh yeah, they need to be shown about the existence of God. And there are perhaps a few people in this room that would... Put, it, put themselves in that category. A few. Also, so that the atheists, agnostics, skeptics, and cynics. Then there's the second group is Christians who struggle with doubt. My guess is there's probably a few more people in this room that would put themselves in that category. Personally, I would say I've struggled more with doubt in the last five years than I have in the first 50 years of my life. I'm going to come back to that. Okay? So if you're a person who, on some level, you know, you're, you're, you've been a Christian for decades, perhaps, but something happens, and you struggle with drought. You struggle to believe in God or His existence. You're not unique. And then the third category would be any of us who know people in categories one and two. Which my guess is probably every single person in this room. 
somehow we need to know why or how or how to strengthen my faith or I need some help to be convinced of God's existence. So how can we prove God exists? Nope. We'll come back to this. No, no, no. That was a rhetorical question. I love a discussion. I love a group that just wants to talk. That's fantastic. I'm going to give you chances. How can we prove God exists? Rhetorical question. I love those hands. No, no, no. Just lower those hands. That's a hard one. I think if you're looking for a proof of God's existence, you're going to have to keep looking. I don't think we can really come up with a a, a proof of God's existence. Although I would also say we cannot come up with a proof that God does not exist. It takes faith to believe in God. I would say it takes faith to not believe in God too. Some would say it takes a leap. A leap. But we we may want to look before we leap. So today we're going to look at a few things that will help us move towards faith in God. I'm going to start, I'm going to start with reason. Reason. Reason plays a role. We're going to talk about reason, creation, and experience. It's, it's on your handout. Did everybody get handouts? Uh, yeah, no, no, that's great. Uh, I think this section may not. Yep, there's plenty of handouts if you need more. Um, Reason, creation, and experience all lead to God. So I'm going to start with reason. Paul used reason in Acts 17 when he, went, when he was in Athens and he was in the Areopagus. He reasoned with, in, um, in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons every day. He made known to the Athenians the unknown God that he already worshipped. And you know what it says? There were some who believed. Okay? Not a big group. And I would say, personally, that's a tough crowd. These Greek and Epicurean philosophers in Athens and the Areopagus, that was a tough crowd. But there were some. He was able to convince them. Reason does play a role. But I want to I talk briefly about kind of a classic reason that gets talked about. Um, sometimes called Pascal's Wager. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century physicist. We're going to talk about physicists later on. Physicist, uh, mathematician, uh, philosopher, and theologian. And he was a Christian. And he, this is, what, this is a, a, a gross simplification of what he said. But he basically talks about four options. Either God exists or God doesn't. And you believe or you don't. Now, as you look at this, what would you decide? What is, what's going to reduce your risk? Yeah. yeah. So, if you believe, you go to heaven. And, and God exists, you go to heaven. If God doesn't exist and you believe, nope, no sweat. Um, now again, this is a growth simplification. We could talk. There's problems with this. This is kind of a deistic worldview. We're, let's assume a Christian worldview. That's what um, Pascal was. If you don't believe, and God doesn't exist, so what? Ah, but this is the problem. Okay. Now, I don't think this is going to cause anybody to say, uh, you know, to turn to Jesus. But it makes you think about the issue of risk and faith. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are any of you guys are in insurance or actuarial science. You could argue that um, he was sort of Pascal was sort of the first actuarial scientist. He's doing a risk analysis on this whole faith, belief, God, existence thing. Okay, this doesn't prove God exists. But this is kind of a, a classic, and again, some of you guys I'm sure are familiar with, you've seen this before, maybe you talked about this in college philosophy classes or something like that, although for some of us, just because we talked about it in college philosophy classes, it may be, uh, it may have been a while, but um, it's a reason to think about. And you may know somebody that this would appeal to them. 
Tim Keller talks about clues in his book, The Reason for God. I really like this section. Um, If this sort of logic appeals to you, read Keller. He talks about moral obligation. Why do people think it's wrong to kill? Why do we think that the Jews, what the, the, the Nazis did to the Jews in World War II was just evil and wrong? There is no God. If, we're, if, if survival of the fittest is what's key, what the Nazis did to the Jews makes sense from a, a, a strict survival of the fittest, a Darwinian evolutionary perspective. That makes sense. But we think, no, this is wrong. I think you're going to find people of faith and agnostics and, and, and atheists would all agree. That's wrong. Where does that sense of right and wrong come from? Keller and others, C.S. Lewis as well, and I would agree that God puts that in us. That's a clue, not a proof, but a clue that there's something else going on here. Use reason. But reason is not the only thing we need to use. There are other things. And you guys know your audience, when is reason, what types of people is is reason going to appeal to? But don't expect, as we use reason, we need to be humble, we need to keep asking questions, and we need to keep telling stories. But it's not just reason. I think creation leads us to God. Paul tells us, In Romans 1, we see God's eternal power and divine nature in God's own creation. We meet God in creation. The psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. As we look at the stars, as as God's creation, we somehow encounter God, we meet God. The astrophysicist Stephen Hawking who passed away just a couple months ago, seems to agree with the psalmist. This is what Stephen Hawking says. The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. Keep going, though. It would be very, this is Hawking, it would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way except the act of, a, act of a God who intended to create beings like us. That's Stephen Hawking. The heavens declare the glory of God. My father was an astrophysicist, and actually that's um, just in That's my father, this is my older son and my younger son. Um, partly because my, my father was an astrophysicist, he also, he passed away just a couple months ago, a month before Stephen Hawking. Um, but partly because of my father, my, my younger son, Noah, wants to be an astrophysicist. Um, my father, yeah, so when I was a kid, my father bought us a telescope as a family, uh, our family. And then when we had kids, my father brought our family a telescope as well. We had troubles using it, okay? Uh, Clouds, obvious. Um, It was just sort of technical difficulties, focus, getting lining up the viewfinder, and all this other stuff. We have these enormous trees in our backyard. Um, We we persisted and we persisted. Noah really was the one because he wanted to see the stars and the planets. So finally, all the planets lined up, so to speak. Um, Clear night, uh, focus. We 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 pulled it out. We we we. Focused it on, on Venus. Now, Venus is best to be seen at, at dusk and dawn. Okay? Now, I don't know if you realize this. Venus is the third brightest object in the sky after the sun and the moon. So, and we, could, we see it at dusk. We focused on Venus and bam. Venus is usually a crescent. Most people don't realize this. We can talk more about that later. Um, I've got some pictures that I'm going to show you. These are not pictures I took. But I tried not to take sensational pictures taken by the, ta- the Hubble, okay? I, I, th- those, th- those feel like cheating, okay? We saw Venus. Then we decided, it was starting to get a little darker, well, we, let's, let's see if we can see Jupiter. So we pulled up Jupiter, and we could see a ball, and you could start to see the stripes on Jupiter, and as we watched a little bit longer, there are four moons 
that's just started to appear. These are sometimes called the Galilean moons. Uh, Ganymede, Io, Callista, and Europa. The four big moons, they start to show up. Whoa. Finally, it's getting dark. We decide, let's see if we can find Saturn. Never seen Saturn before. Noah kind of focuses it in. Kind of, he pulls it up. And he says, Dad, you've got to check this out. Dad, look. So I go, I go up to the viewfinder. Bam. There it was. Through our telescope. We had to invite the neighbors over. you got to see this. Venus, Jupiter, Saturn. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, maybe it's not the stars and telescopes for you. It's like, that's just a little too nerdy for you. You like beaches. You like sunsets. You like mountains. You like waterfalls. I don't know what it is. My wife and I just became certified scuba divers. We love to see God's creation in these these coral reefs. We experience God. Whatever it is for you, if you're talking to somebody about God, expose them to God's creation because the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation, reason. But there is more. I want to talk about experience. Experience. Now, actually, turn to a neighbor, and I want you to ask this question. As you look at Scripture, in the Bible now, how do people, what leads people to faith? Think about some examples. Just brainstorm with a partner or two. Examples of people coming to belief in God from the Bible. Okay? Just turn to a neighbor. Just a minute or two. Go. Okay. Again, not enough time, I hope. But there's a lot of wisdom in this room. Now, you know this is in the section where we're talking about experience. So the the correct answer is not experience. We're going to get to that. But I want to just hear examples from the Bible. You can just say somebody's name or, you know, blank in the blank or wherever. Just some examples from Scripture of people coming to faith in God. Yes, right here. There's two? Okay, so people, um, okay, interactions with Jesus. Yeah, now again, I'm going to push and you and anybody, let's, if, can we think of like specific examples of that? I think that's a great, a lot of people, interactions with Jesus, maybe even some specific, some specific interactions with Jesus. Okay, John 4. Great, the woman, the Samaritan woman. Yep, yeah, I call her the polygamist at the well. Uh, in my book, uh, Prostitutes and Polygamists. Uh, yeah. Philip and the Ethiopian uh, eunuch. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say Philip. Is that one L or two? That's okay. Uh, yes, right here. Uh, Darius. Yes, Darius after the lion's den. Uh, that's Daniel 6. Great, Darius. Uh, uh, the, 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 the Persian ruler. Yes. Zacchaeus, yes, the short guy. Uh, Luke 17, very good, yes, right here. The centurion, yeah. Um, Now again, uh, we'll just say the centurion. Um, He says slightly different things in Mark and and Luke, but, you know, truly this man is the son of God. the, The centurion at the cross, right? Yep, great. Back in the back. Okay, how does he come to faith? What, 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 what brings him to faith in God? That's a, okay. 
Abe, well, that's good. Okay, we, we talk about we talk about we can talk about Abraham the rest of the time. Paul, how does God do it with Paul? He makes him blind. I'm, I'd ask for a show of hands. How many of you did God use blinding you to lead you to faith? Well, but maybe some of you might say sometimes God allowed some health issue. Yeah, okay, so blindness. Wow. Yep, that's good. Yes, right here. Okay, uh, yeah, um, uh, John, uh, Jonah chapter 1, that, that, that ship's crew, it's hard to know what came about for them, but they certainly encountered God. They, they threw Jonah in the water, and all of a sudden, dead calm. Yeah. Um, any other examples you guys came up with? People coming to faith? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, so Saul, Paul, um, his seeing the face of the martyr Stephen in, uh, in, in Acts 7. Yeah, one more right here. Yeah, I had Nebuchadnezzar in my notes. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has a couple of experiences. There's the, um, the fiery furnace... Um, which is profound and powerful. And then what does God do to him in chapter 4? He's, he's, like, he's grazing like a cow. He's totally humiliated. And, um, and he's like, you know, he's got a great declaration after the fiery furnace in chapter 3, but even, uh, even a more powerful one in chapter 4 of, of Daniel. What is, how does God working? Now, there are some examples. Actually, Maybe the biggest example where people come in large numbers to faith. Can you think of like the place where a lot, a lot of people come to faith kind of all at one time? At Pentecost. I heard a bunch of you guys saying it all at the same time. Pentecost. Now, if we compare Pentecost in Acts, see if I can spell it right, Acts 2 to Paul at the Areopagus in Acts 17. Paul was using reason, and reason plays a role, and a couple people believed. And that's great. God's Spirit was poured out, and people spoke in other tongues and languages. And how many believed? Yeah, thousands. A powerful experience of God is often what God works to lead people to faith. God uses a variety of um, of methods, of techniques, if you will. But the most common way people come to faith in God is not through reason. Maybe. Yeah, yeah right here. Amen. They, they somehow meet God. There's a personal encounter, I think, is, is really important. Um, yeah, real quick, Dwayne. Yep. And that's a great question. That's a great question. I would say God is still at work. And I think... I would hope that most of us in this room would have a pretty dramatic experience. I'm going to tell one story later. Um, but that's a great question, and we have, to, we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that. But I just want to, I want to make a point here. If you're talking to somebody, if there's, and I sure hope you have people in your life that you're concerned about their faith, you want to introduce them to God, and you're concerned, well, I'm going to this apologetic seminar that's going to give me all the answers, and then I'm going to be able to win the argument. Well, we, we need to have, we need to have, we need to be able to have a good defense. So I'm not denigrating reason, okay? But it, we need to have more sort of tools and are also, yeah, I, I see those hands. I just, let me finish this point. This is great. I love this. If you're talking to somebody and you're concerned about them and they're per, not a person of faith, pray for them, obviously. Pray 
with them. And then maybe you even want to say, hey, I know you're not a person of faith, but would you pray with me? Would you be willing to pray? Or I'm going to pray for you right now. Or what can I pray for you about? Give them, introduce them directly to God. Okay? Repeat after me. Can I pray for you right now? I challenge you sometime this week to say that to somebody that doesn't typically go to church. Can I pray for you right now? I dare you to do that. People meet God through personal encounters. Now, maybe you don't believe God is going to do anything. That's on you. Maybe we need more faith. Do you believe God can work? So what I want to do is I want to look at a story about how a particular person came to belief in God. And this is what we're going to spend the next 25 minutes or so on. The story of Naaman. Okay, the story of Naaman. I'm going to do this in two parts. It's um, found in um, 2 Kings 5. It's also on your handout, I think. Yep, um, in two parts. So we're going to look at the first kind of four or five verses. And we're going to ask this question. What do we learn about helping people believe in God in these first four or five verses? And we're going to um, read the next section. So um, I would like a volunteer to read this out loud. We did this last week. Someone with a loud voice. Who wants to... Read aloud for us. I don't want to spend a lot of time. Just, I, I should see six hands go up right now. Now. Okay, right here. Now, just to be clear here, um, this is my paraphrase of the next four verses. I'm, I'm consolidating a lot there because I think there's some information there that we don't really need or um, if we had more time, we'd discuss it. Okay, so Naaman is from, um, some texts would say Aram, other texts would say Syria. I think you guys know where Syria is. The capital of Syria is Damascus. A few years ago, we were dealing, the country of Syria has been in civil war for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years or so. It's been in the news a lot, maybe not quite so much lately. He is a Syrian, okay? He was a military guy, strong guy. Um, In the Hebrew, it's really all these positive things, positive things, positive things, positive things. In the, in the Hebrew, the last word is leper. Okay? Um, you got this young girl. Um, we'll talk about Na'ara Katana later. Um, that's just the Hebrew. She was the, the servant girl for Naaman's wife. Um, so she's like, hey, there's a prophet. Her, the, 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 her phrase here, the phrasing here is a little bit awkward in the ESV. Hey, there's this prophet. In Israel, that if you if you had a chance to interact with him, he's, he'd cure you, and he goes. Okay, turn to a neighbor. What do we learn about helping people believe in God from just these couple of verses? Just discuss this for like a minute or two. Go on your own.
All right. Let's come back together. Again, for some of you, that might have been too much time. Others of you, too little. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is an apologetic sermon. I haven't said I'm sorry enough. Okay, what did you guys come up with? I know this is a little bit of a strange story, but I think there's some really profound lessons about helping people connect to God. Uh, yes, right here. Okay, so God can use anyone. Okay. Any comments? Yeah, re- comments related to that comment? I'm just trying to, I know it's hard in a big group, but let's, if, you, if someone says something and you have a kind of a good follow-up, um, let's, let's try to do that. Yeah, right here. Wow. Um, love your enemies. Now, who said that most famously, perhaps? Yeah, that's Matthew 5. That's Jesus. Okay, you know, the Jesus, Jesus is sometimes the answer, not always the answer. Um, well, yes, ultimately always the answer. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, but you know what? I would say he got it from the Old Testament. Okay, loving your enemies can have a profound impact. Um, and then there was another woman in the very back row. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, kind of glorifying God. Um, how do we see glorifying God here? I, 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 lo- I really like what you're saying, but I'm just trying to... Um, and when I ask that, I'm, I'm kind of out to anybody. How do we see God being glorified here? Yeah, right here. Okay. You're talking about the, the, the servant girl. Yeah. God was working through this servant girl. Um, let's just focus on this servant girl for a moment here. Yeah, right here. Okay. So there's, there's a sincerity, and we, think we certainly see that with this young girl. Yeah, right there. Okay. Okay, so sometimes short is sweet. Okay, that's good. Uh, back in the back. Wow. Now, there is, there, she has, what gives her that confidence, that certainty? What does that suggest about her? Again, focus on this girl. Yeah, right there. Yeah, experience plays a big role. So she must have somehow experienced God. Now, but what might cause you to think, why might she wonder about God at this point in her life? Why, does she have any reason to question God? Yeah, right here. She was captured. Yeah, so, again, captured as a... And ended up as a slave in a foreign land. What does that remind us of a little bit? What story earlier in the Bible? Uh, yeah, Genesis um, 37. The story of Joseph. Captured. Now, again, she was captured on a raid. Joseph was sold from it by his brothers. Again, you think your, your siblings are bad. Have they sold you into slavery yet? Okay. Um, I just want to focus on this for just a sec. She was... God can use anyone. Where is this woman, where is this girl on the social spectrum? Where does she, you know, kind of high, medium, low? She's like below zero, right? She is young in a society that values age. She's female in a society that values men. She's a slave in a society that values power. And you compare the contrast between Naaman and her are amazing. Again, I just, well, it's amazing here. Yeah. She's got confidence. But if something doesn't happen, she could get in big trouble. Because Naaman goes on what could potentially be a long wild goose chase. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So she has somehow been aware of what Elisha has already done in the past. That, and he does have, uh, he's got a great, um, you know, on his, on his prophet CV, he, under experiences, he'd have a lot, you know. Um, well, he was calling down those bears on those kids and, um, you know, he, turning water a couple of places, purifying water. Um, and he was also, he's got a great letter of reference from Elijah, so he's had a lot of things that have gone on that somehow she's either heard about or seen. But this woman, this young girl, I don't want to belittle any of us here. And some of us have experienced really, really horrific things, maybe in our family. This girl had it rough. She was a slave in a foreign land. She would have good reason to question God. And yet, somehow, she speaks with incredible confidence. Okay? Yeah? Yeah. We would expect her, he might expect her, like, who, who? kidnapped her we're not sure but he was in charge of the army and she was captured in a raid by the syrians and she somehow ended up in her home he was probably what do we call people that go to other parts to other countries attack and kidnap people and take them and make them slaves what what types of words would we use for people like that today pirates I mean, worse than, ter- I mean, terrorists? I don't know. This guy is a, a Syrian terrorist, maybe? Pirate? Child abductor. Child, abductor, child trafficker. Warlord. Warlord. Yeah, some nasty type. But you know what? She loves her enemy. It's not what you would expect. And it's powerful. If you have an enemy at work or in, in your neighborhood... Love them. Nothing may happen. It's very possible that nothing... I mean, it's just a good thing to do, full stop. But it's possible. That act of love might lead them to faith. Uh, sorry, there's a hand right here. and then She's deferential. That's good. Master, yes, right here. She is confident and, and directs them to God. I think that's a fantastic point. Is that a hand? Yeah? Yeah, I keep just thinking, I know you said her, but if you look both of them, the leper who was the lowest of lows, you know, eating dirt, nothing, and her being, and that's who he used to bring it up. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he, he was a leper. I mean, it's hard to know exactly. Leprosy can take a variety of forms. At some level, he, he's got a problem. But he's still the commander of the army, and he's a great man and held in high favor. So there's a kind of a, an irony there. That's a great point, that he, he is this leper. Um, what is God doing in his life already? According to the text, what is God doing in his life already? Well, how, how, what do you, when you say humbling, why do you say that? Okay, yeah, 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 right here. Okay, so, but, but through the leprosy. Yeah, and again, we're not sure where the leprosy comes from. And one could argue that maybe God was behind it. I think that's reasonable. What does the text tell us, though, that we are sure about? What, what is God doing already? God has given him victory. Did Naaman know about that? Well, he knew that he had victory. Did he know it was God? We aren't sure. But what we see is God is already at work in Naaman's life. And those people that you're talking to, is God at work in them? I think so. We may not see it. They may not see it. But God was already at work. Sometimes God certainly uses suffering and pain. It's hard to know whether or not he was... Was he behind this? We, the text doesn't say that, so let's, we've got to be careful about that. We do know that God was giving him victory. And... God was giving, this is fascinating, God gives victory 
to Israel's enemies. And who were some of the people that Israel's enemies were defeating, perhaps? Maybe Israel. And we see this all the time. God allows, God's, God allows the, the people of God's enemies to persecute them on some level. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, wow, you guys are doing a great job here. Let's move on and look at the rest of the story here. Um, another loud reader for us. Yeah, we got, we got 12 minutes here. Another loud right here. Turn to a neighbor. This is going to be brief. How do we see, what do we learn about God helping people in just these couple of verses here? Just going to be brief, like a minute or so. Turn to a neighbor. Go. All right, I'm just kind of watching the clock here. Not enough time. But um, what, sorts of, uh, what sorts of things did you all come up with? Uh, um, yep. Shh. Say it again. Okay, encouragement without condemnation. That's good. Other things, go ahead. Okay, how do you see that? <laughs> okay. Okay. So God is um, God is working through the words of Elisha here um, in His timing in His own way. It kind of God often heals people in creative ways. We see that here. Jesus certainly does that in the Gospels. Yes. Okay, actually, let's just focus on the servants for a second here. Let's uh, comments about these servants. What do you think about these servants? They're either Assyrian or Israel. What would you guess? We think they're Syrian because their name is. So, what is the significance of God working through these Syrian servants as we think about people coming to faith? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's what we were saying before. God works through anybody. It doesn't matter whether they're a believer or not. God often does this. 
works through a variety of means. And, ser- um, and so we need to be able to see that. Um, he's obviously working through this Israelite servant girl, who is a person of faith, obviously. But these guys, we just don't know much about them, but we assume they're Syrian. And yet, God works through that. See how, yeah, we need to be able to see God at work in all these other places. Yes. It's interesting that as the servants, they don't, they don't bat an eye when somebody gives them a command for them to be obedient, but for, for somebody else that's higher up. <laughs> Really interesting that servants are just don't do what they're told. They see this guy. He's not used to being told things. And maybe that was partly why Elijah said, go and do, pretend to be a servant. Go do this thing. And, and they're like, they have, they have a servant's perspective. Naaman does not. He's used to sort of barking out orders. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so there's a timeline, a, pro- a process, but there's some can be obstacles that need to be overcome, and there needs to be kind of help to overcome those obstacles along. Amen. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm trying to, like, people that, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so sometimes there's a, a spiritual issue that gets addressed. And in this case, maybe pride related to this issue of servants. Yeah. Um, we can't make names, right? Because someone believes they have to take the first step. Yeah. Okay, so people need to take a step. So let's think of ourselves, we're in the role of Elisha here. What do, what do we learn? As we think about trying to move people towards God, what might we need to do? To, to, sorry, say that again? To, uh, to give them some faith. What might we need to tell them to do? Okay, yeah, read the Bible. Yeah. Okay, somehow get out of the way and get... But see, what is... Do you ever say to somebody, um, do something where you need to see God at work? Yeah, back in the back. Give them space. Give them space. Okay, yeah. So um, how, does, how does Elisha give Naaman space? I'm trying to just understand that. Yeah. He didn't even come out to see him. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. This humility thing. But then he gives them, what does he say? Go dip, do something. Take a risk, take a step. Um, And it may push his buttons. Right here. Wow. I I think that's part of what May have God, somehow God saw something about this guy. The catalyst for this whole thing was this woman, this young girl on the opposite end of the social spectrum. And he listens to this servant girl. And she had had some kind of an experience. And we were talking about that. She had seen something, presumably about Elisha, which allowed her to speak with confidence. But he listens to her. Now, some of you guys are in positions of large responsibility, um, maybe here at the church, maybe in your job, maybe at schools or work. Do you listen to people below you, maybe even helping you connect on some level to God? Okay, yeah, right here. Wow. Yeah. 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 And and again, okay, right here. You're going to wave your hand. Now, why wouldn't Elisha just do it the way he'd expected? 
Elisha's reading people's minds left and right um, in these couple chapters of Kings. But he, he, he doesn't do it that way. Yeah. Again, as we think about talking to people, we need to remember, sometimes people, it needs, we need to shock people, be unexpected, right? And force people to take a step of faith. You know, you're struggling to believe in God. Well, how could you trust God in some dramatic way to pray about something, to do something? Elisha's, not, Elisha's confident that God will be at work. It's just not whether a question of whether Naaman is actually going to go down to the river. But God works through his servants. Uh, yeah, there was another hand. Yeah. There is, there is a desperate, Naaman was desperate. Yeah, there is a, a de- God often works through desperate people. Um, and I think a lot of people would say it's in moments of desperation that people may have profound experiences of God. Look at the life of David. When he was being chased by Saul was when he was closest to God. Once he was in power, things started to go downhill for the guy. Um, yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and, and that's possible. I mean, we certainly see people, but why do, I mean, what do you guys think about that? I mean, it's a really interesting question. What do you think about that? It, we, we see that. God, God makes the sun shine on the good and the evil. There is, there is a, a general, uh, general uh, God shares goodness to all of us. And sometimes people respond positively and sometimes they don't. I mean, one of the reasons why this story ended up in Scripture is because of what he says. Now I know. There is no other God except... And again, that's about as close... This is one of the most amazing kind of monotheistic statements you find in the Old Testament about there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. Yeah, back over here. Yep. Yep. So my question is, in worlds of ancient battlefields, okay, I don't see a lot of the Lord around putting my thoughts into something. You know, yeah. right there on the phone, oh yeah. You know, they get tongue speaking. How do we as people to stop and think about what we say and then allow them to be derailed and put extra thought into it to arrive at that end goal of See, and that, that's a great question. Um, Again, I'm just kind of watching the clock here and I'm seeing people leave. So I know we we need to kind of wind down. Maybe some of us can talk about it later. I think it's great. We need to be able to derail people, to cause people to think outside the box. Jesus was always telling people things that they weren't expecting. Um, But then being available to continue to talk. So a lot of it's about relationship. It doesn't need to happen just in one moment in time, but it's, we need to have some patience in this process. But let me just say, God healed Naaman. Okay? That, again, it's easy to kind of talk about a lot of, and there's a lot of fasting and other things. God heals people. And, and both Old and New Testament, command, God commands us you know, James tells us to lay hands on people. Now, again, I don't know what y'all do. Or what, what you're, I pray for people all the time for healing, and nothing happens. Okay? I clearly don't have the gift. But that doesn't mean I'm not supposed to pray for people. And you know what? Sometimes just even praying for people can have a powerful impact. Wow, this person, this person really cares. They want to engage God on my behalf. Okay, you know, this dramatic healing didn't happen right now, but maybe a process has begun. And I just think we need to expect God to be at work in a variety of ways. And I I think this story gives us a lot of examples of a lot of truths as to how we can push people to God, move people towards God. It's a process. There's a lot of people involved. But if you may, you... You have more um, apologetic experience than this young Israelite servant girl. Okay? And what does it say? Up above? 
God used a na'ar katana. This is the masculine v- version of that same word, that same phrase, na'ar katan. His, he was like a small child because unless we become like a small child, we can't come to Jesus. Um, let me pray for us. Um, and, and we, we, need to, we need to stop. And, um, and, but this has been great. Let me pray. Jesus, help us to use our minds. Help us to see you in creation. And help us to be creative in how we expose people to experiences. Because God, we want people to know you and we want people to experience you. Give us boldness as we talk to our friends, Lord. Help us, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.